Welcome to the Modern Math Teacher Podcast, the podcast that will help you use today's best teaching strategies to ignite and excite your students in math class and maybe even make it the best part of their day. Hey, I'm Kristen Moore, a longtime believer that math is so much more than just solving fracks. I went from teaching straight from a textbook to implementing project-based learning and boosting student engagement in my class each and every day along the way. I'm here to give you the PD you need to successfully do the same with your students. Are you up for it? Let's do this. Everyone, real quick before we get into the show, the next few episodes are part of a summer learning series where the members of the Modern Math Teachers Movement Facebook group had a chance to have their questions answered in live training calls. I couldn't just keep that to myself, so I pulled some of the best ones to share with you here. Enjoy! Hey there, Modern Math Teacher. Kristen Moore here from More Than Just X, your host here in the Modern Math Teachers Movement. And I'm so excited that we are on week two of our summer series of PD. And today we are going to be talking about creating projects that everyone will learn from and love. Okay. And so we're talking about how to accommodate projects for all of our learners, making sure it's not too easy and not too hard, and how to make sure all of our students are engaged throughout the project, especially when we're working with a group. So let's dive in. We know that project-based learning is the best way to engage our students. It's what makes the learning come to life for them. But we also know that purchased PBL often doesn't reach our learners. There's always some sort of mismatch there. So we are tasked with figuring out how can we easily create our own projects that engage all of our learners, right? So that we can hit everyone in our classroom. And so first and foremost, when we're designing a PBL unit for our classroom, we need to have the right topic and learning target alignment. If the topic isn't interesting enough for our students, then they're not going to engage. If it's too far-fetched or misaligned from those learning targets, again, they're not going to engage. So how do we pick that best topic? Remember, best projects are ones that are going to ignite and excite your learners, right? And the only way to do that is to make sure your project is real, relevant, and rigorous. You've heard me say that a million times. It is always true. So projects that address real-world topics, tasks, or phenomena, such as, you know, data analysis, sports, stock markets, whatever your kids are into, technology, social media, trending, viral, uh, computer programming, manufacturing, any sort of STEM applications, um, you know, studying motion, spread of disease, biodiversity, recycling, anything like that, okay? Then make sure that that topic is relevant and connected to your students' interests and their aspirations. So something that your students are actually into and invested in, uh, which we talked a little bit about last week, or something that your students are interested in pursuing, you know, um, what they plan on doing in their future. And then here's where we're hitting that sweet spot. We need to make sure that the projects are rigorous and ensure that our students are digging into the content at an appropriate challenge level, while also aligning to the intent of our standard. So to make sure your project isn't too tough for your students, right? Thinking about our learners who maybe struggle. We need to consider all the aspects of the learning target that are presented. So what are the prerequisite skills for the students to be successful meeting that target? And how can I embed those into the project through things like warm-ups, built-in practice, and some targeted differentiation of the project itself? 
once I've thought about that, I want to start thinking about to make sure it's not too easy. I want to make sure that all of my learners are going to be challenged as they go through. So we need to look kind of the other direction. What skills is this project leading up to? What are the next levels of progression for this learning target, right? And how can I get those to connect to the project? So we have our main goal, right? Our main primary learning target. We're looking at the supporting standards that are going to help our students get to that learning goal that we maybe have to remediate for some of our students. And we're looking at the next level progression where that skill is going to lead them in the long run. And so we're kind of creating this Goldilocks zone for all of our students. So for example, I have a project um, that I've done a bunch of times. It's a packaging project. And when I did this with uh, the last time I ran it in a school, we called it Wasted Space. And we had recently formed a recycling group at our school. So I knew that sustainability and recycling were kind of top of mind and important to my students. So, um, you know, packaging and recycling can take a lot of different avenues. It's kind of an awesome one to explore. You can do data analysis, statistics, budgeting, geometric modeling, algebraic analysis, optimization. Basically, it's got a lot of great entry points for my students. And so it's a project that I can really engage my students with. It was going to be a perfect fit for me to seamlessly engage all of my learners at an appropriate challenge level. So when I did this packaging project, our primary focus was on the geometric modeling of the packaging. And I knew I wanted my students to be able to make the connection between the 2D and the 3D models. And then I wanted them to be able to use those formulas really fluidly. So with that target in mind, I knew that I needed to scaffold it to make it easy enough for my struggling learners to be to access the material and engage with it. And I also needed to be able to make it stretch enough for my upper level learners. So for my struggling learners, I helped them pick out packaging of products that were going to use some more of the basic formulas to get them really good practice with ones that they're going to see over and over again. So things like cereal, sports drinks, snack packs, those kinds of things um, that are some pretty typical three-dimensional shapes that students are going to encounter often. For my students who were, you know, maybe on track or maybe a little bit more advanced, I helped encourage them to pick out uh, packaging of more irregularly shaped objects. So something like a perfume bottle or a beauty product, a lot of those come in kind of different shapes that you can model with 3D uh, figures, obviously, but they can have a little bit more of a nuance to the formulas that you're going to use for them. So between all of this, just helping them pick out the right types of packaging to analyze all of my students were then able to be successful analyzing their products, proposing new prototypes, and they were each challenged at that right level. Okay, and then for my even more advanced students, that's where I was able to take it to the um, algebraic applications and optimization. They were able to think about how to design the most efficient packaging for a given product, and they had to create polynomial equations to represent the possible dimensions of a package and then use Desmos to optimize the volume. It's a great exploration. It was a really great tangible way for my students to take that next level step. Okay, so all of my students here were all in this kind of Goldilocks zone. We were all able to access the same learning target of modeling with 2D and 3D figures and using our formulas fluidly. And it was the way in which they engaged with those, the shapes that they chose, the packaging that they chose that enabled them to access and engage no matter where they were at, whether they were struggling and just really getting familiar with the formulas and the shapes and the nets and things like that 
or whether they were a little bit more advanced and they were ready for some more challenging figures and some more challenging formulas to use. So um, if you've seen my gift wrap challenge in TPT, it's uh, like a mini project that I've got in there. It is perfect really for any time of year. That's why it's called the gift wrap challenge and not like the you know Christmas wrap challenge. Um, but you can see all three of those levels in there. Level one is basic figures that students are going to be wrapping and, and um, you know, packaging, basically. Uh, level two has some more detailed geometric modeling that goes along with it. So a little bit more advanced. And then level three goes into that algebraic analysis. If you want to see a quick rundown of what those three skills looked like in a mini project, as opposed to that project I just explained, you could totally go check that out in my TPT store. So that's considering where our learners are at in their progression. Hey, guys. Uh, next, we want to talk about what to do to engage our students when we're working in a group project, okay? So we know that when students are working in groups, right, they are a little bit um, wary of that because they've had some negative experiences. So we want to consider a couple of things when we're creating our groups for our project-based learning unit. So we want to think about the size of the group. How many students minimally does a group need to work? And I say minimally intentionally here because we want to go for a minimum viable product here. Uh, then the makeup of the group. Are you going to be mixing readiness levels? Are you going to, you know, do it heterogeneously, homogeneously? How are you going to mix these up? And then the purpose of the group. Why does this need to be a group project? What is the role of that? So considering those three aspects, um, when you're thinking about size, I always try to go with the fewest number of students possible. This does two things. It prevents the students from completely slacking off, and it helps each group member feel more accountable. Okay, If you have too many people in a group, more and more people are going to slack off and try to put it all on one to two people. So if you've got a group of about three, that's a really effective group size for PBL. And then thinking about the makeup of a group, I pretty much mix all my students together almost every single time. So if I was looking at like that wasted space project we just talked about, uh, I might have one advanced student working on the actual like shampoo bottle, right? So one of the more advanced figures. Well, the other student in the group is in there working on the packaging for the box that it comes in. I don't know if you guys know, sometimes you can get like a, a shampoo conditioner or two pack. And so they'd be looking at the box where the other student is looking at the actual bottle, right? So they can still work together seamlessly um, and, and, engage in it that way. So we've done group, we've done uh, group size, who's in the group. Let's talk about the purpose of the group. Why are we having group roles in project-based learning? Well, we know that working in a group is something that we all have to do at some point in any career that you're going into after high school. So we want to consider what the purpose of our group is here and how we're going to help our students learn those skills that they need to be successful in a group. So why, is, why do we need a group to exist? And once we've determined that, we need to give our students specific roles to fulfill within the group. Without a designated role, your students are going to assume that others are just going to do the project and they're not going to take ownership of it. So I encourage groups to either self-select their roles or I will let them know specifically who is going to have which role within the group. Groups have to create a group contract for how to communicate and what work to get delegate and to whom. And again, most of that is based on their role, but it still gets them to have that initial conversation, talk about 
what their roles are, who's responsible for what, so that they each know and they've come to terms with it, and then how they're going to communicate with each other. A lot of students will, you know, they're they're going to use Messenger or Snapchat or something. Great. I don't care. As long as they've had that established and worked out, then they're going to be more set up for success because they're automatically going to be more accountable to one another. So for that wasted space project that I was talking about, that packaging project, I had uh, three different roles. I had the lead researcher. So that person was thinking about the different types of packaging material that they could use, what the cost was of those things. The lead designer was um, considering all of the different designs. So every student had to come up with a couple of prototypes, but the lead designer was the one who was going to ultimately be making those decisions on it and making sure that everyone had their designs ready. And then the lead analyst, which is the best design and the material to use and why. So kind of combining those two roles and saying, this is going to be a more affordable, sustainable, whatever it is that your project is going on. So um, a little word of caution with groups, letting your students pick groups or letting them kind of bend from your expectations. Like, can we be a group of five? If you said that they can only be groups of four or group of two when you're asking for a group of three those can all lead to less than ideal results, right? You're the expert in your room. You know why you have group roles. You know why you have a group size and you know what kind of mix of students you want in your group. So you need to use your expert opinion uh, and pretty much stick to your guns, right? Otherwise you're going to get less than favorable uh, learning conditions and outcomes from your students. So there you guys have it. We have the best way to create projects to engage all of our learners We need to pick a topic that resonates with your students, select a learning target that can be scaffolded both up and down, right? Getting into that Goldilocks zone to naturally fit within the project and encouraging equal participation through group roles and expectations. That's going to give you a project that all of your learners are going to be able to learn from and love. So if you're ready to get started planning your own PBL, make sure you do the free on-demand PBL kickstart in our member vault. I will drop a link to that here for you in case you haven't seen it in a while. And until next week, you guys, keep it real. Thanks for tuning in to find out today's tips and tricks. Continue the conversation and join the movement to boost student engagement and make math more meaningful inside the Modern Math Teachers Movement on Facebook. Till next time, keep it real.